Take our Bibles here this evening and go to 1 John chapter number 2. <clears throat> 1 John and chapter number 2. And uh, we've been going through uh, the book of 1 John and uh, doing this. Uh, John said, I wrote these things so that you know that you have eternal life, that you know the Lord and that you're saved. And so we've been going through a test or verifications, proofs that we can look at the scriptures and say, am I in Christ? Am I truly saved? And can I have confidence in my salvation? And so anyways, 1 John chapter number 2, if you could stand together, if you're able to, as we read God's word, 1 John chapter number 2. And verse number 12. 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 12. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. <clears throat> Tell the message here tonight, the test of growth, or we might call it this, the test of sanctification. Okay, So we're going to look at the test uh, that's given here in the Scriptures of an evidence of salvation is this. After a person gets saved, they actually grow in Christ. Okay, That's an evidence uh, somebody is saved. So may God bless you. You can be seated. And thank you for standing in honor of the Scriptures uh, here this evening. <clears throat> Alright. <clears throat> I have uh, four children. If you... Uh, didn't know that. Uh, some days we're really tempted to take that down to three. <laughs> Don't ask which one would be getting uh, removed. Uh, it's different day by day. Amen. No, I'm just kidding. We love all four of them and uh, thankful for my children. <clears throat> and I still remember the day that Nate was born. Uh, me and Nate share a birthday. And so uh, he was born on my birthday. A lot of people, oh, what a wonderful birthday present. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't have a birthday anymore. It got hijacked. It was stolen. I can't ever enjoy it. It's not what do I want for my birthday. It's what does he want for it. Anyways, I'm not bitter about it at all. <laughs> but uh, when he was born on my birthday, I still just surreal, you know, your, your first child. I'm sure you all still even vividly uh, probably remember the day that your first kiddo was born and a lot of the details surrounding and connected with that. And uh, I remember when Nate came out, he was just hyper observant, just looking around and blinking his eyes. And I'm over there counting fingers and toes, you know, and just at all. And, of course, the, I didn't know everything nurses and stuff would do after he's born. And they're over here. They're slinging him around like a, a chuck of meat, you know. And I'm like, oh, my kid, you know. And they're giving him a shot and putting goop in his eyes and all this stuff. And all the fun stuff that happens, like I did not realize, like new newborn uh, bowel movements are really weird. You know, and I'm like, nurse, nurse, there's melted Tootsie Rolls in here, you know, something weird happened. And 
it's just weird stuff, you know, and, and of course then months later, you know, sometime weeks, months later, umbilical cord falls off and they start to grow and they have all their checkups and they're like, hey, I'm, um, you know, X number of pounds and now this length and they do more shots and tests and now Nate, if he keeps growing, he's going to be taller than I am. He's shooting up, and, and I look back even two years ago when we moved here, and I'm like, wow, he's a little bitty guy, and now he's getting older, and we've almost got a teenager in the house, and he's acting that way. And Now, through all of that, I look back and I say this, there have been stages where I can look at my child and I could say there have been developmental stages where the, he has grown and developed physically, emotionally, mentally, and it's been natural. It's just been one of those things where you just look at it. And sometimes the growth rate is much quicker. And other times it seems like you might say this, the growth feels like it's stunted some. Right? And there's the different avenues and stages. Now, listen, that is normal. If my son was about to turn 13, if Nate was still drinking a bottle and in diapers and was this big we would be at the doctor saying something's wrong. True. We, there's something major wrong with this child because he was born and he never developed. He never, never started eating, you know, the, the rice mush and then, you know, eating cereals and, and then eating real food. Like, he's still drinking milk. And instead of him growing and starting to walk and talk and do all that, he's this big. Something's wrong. And instead of, you know, learning normal social interaction stuff and social norms, he's in a diaper and he's drooling. There's a problem here. Well, physically, we would recognize that and we say there's a major problem here. Now, here's what I struggle with sometimes. As a pastor, there are those who have been saved for 10, 20, 30, 40 years and Paul, in, in one of his letters he writes, he says, there's some people that should be eating meat and they're still drinking a bottle. They're still on the milk. And he's not talking about in a physical sense. He's talking about in a spiritual sense. And just like we would look at my son who was born and we were excited about that, but we understood that there was a natural course of development and growth that would take place. So too, when we get saved... There is a natural course of development and growth that ought to take place. Now, uh, from the onset, because we're not really going to dive into this tonight, but for those of you that have been saved for a good length of time, and you have matured, and you are uh, developed in your spiritual walk with the Lord, may I remind you, you did not become that way overnight. And you went through a process where you learned how to drink the milk and then eventually got to where you could eat the meat. Let us be gracious for those that come into Bible Baptist Church and trust in Christ or baby infant Christians and don't really know how this whole thing works. Let us afford them grace and time to develop and grow and become what God wants them to be. Uh, actually, could you help them along that journey? Right? You got a kid that's learning how to walk and talk. Uh, you could take that kid that's learning how to walk and go, pop, and knock them on the ground. Or you can hold their hand and be like, all right, one more step. Here we go. Let's keep walking. Now, 
whether you realize it or not, for new believers that are coming, you might walk around on a Sunday and be like, pop, 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 pop. It's knocking them all over, learning how to walk. Baby Christians are annoying. Or you can, hey, follow me as I follow Christ and, and help them along that journey. So just a little bit of a helpful reminder there. But I also want to be um, a little pointed right here at the beginning if I can. If you've been saved for a long time and you're not developing as a Christian, and it's, it's not that you're like not developing some, it's just you're not developing at all. Can I really challenge you here this evening? John writes about this and says, normal, healthy growth in a Christian is indicative, is an indicator that somebody is indeed saved. Because like it says in John 3, when we get saved, we become born again, not the flesh, but the spirit. Well, when something's born, inevitably, naturally, it will grow. And so we have to wonder this, if there has been new life and new birth that has entered into you, there ought to be some level of growth and some level of development. Now listen, I understand that there are those who are truly saved and they have grown, but it has not been what it should be. You're genuinely saved, but you haven't grown like you should. If this could be a little bit of encouragement here tonight to do this, we need to grow. Amen. We need to get off the milk and get on the meat. We need to start developing as a Christian. If all you're getting of your spiritual appetite is what you get fed from the pulpit a few times a week, it's not enough. It's not enough. If you were just eating two or three meals a week and that's all you got, it wouldn't be enough physically. In the same way, it's not enough spiritually. And, and uh, although I'd like to think I'd give good messages, it's not enough. You need to learn how to grow and develop as a Christian. So, again, this isn't said in a critical or a harsh way. It's just simply saying this. If you've been saved especially 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and you still don't have the walk with the Lord like it needs to be, it's time to do this. Kind way of saying it. Grow up. Get on the meat. Start developing. So let's take a look at what John has to say here as far as this being an evidence of salvation. So John has had a uh, somewhat of a journey so far. We're not going to do a review of the whole bit that we've been through in the first five sermons, but I do want to give you the test that he's done. So, so far there's been four tests of indicating whether a person's faith is genuine or not. So there's been the test of sin in 1 John chapter 1 verse 5 through 7. Do you live in habitual sin with no repentance in your life? It, it, John says if somebody says, claims that they are a believer and yet their life is indicated by nothing but sin, habitual sin that is unrepented of, he says this, somebody's lying and it's not God, right? You're a liar is what he says. So then the second test is this, the test of concealing. 1 John 1, 8 through 1 uh, John 2, 2. Uh, the test of concealing. Do you believe you are without sin or do you minimize the wickedness of your sin? So this is uh, when you sin, do you blow it off like it's not a big deal or it's not really that I'm not a sinner, I've never done anything wrong. Okay? Those are, are problems when we start to think in our mind, well, I, I've done no sin, I'm without sin, I'm all, I don't need God's forgiveness because I'm all good. Okay? Third test, the test of obedience. <clears throat> Do you have a desire to follow and obey the Word of God? 
This does not mean that we will perfectly follow God's word, but it does mean this, there at least is an appetite or a desire to want to be in obedience to Christ. Okay? Uh, and then what we talked about last week in verses uh, 7 through 11 of 1 John chapter 2 was this, the test of love. Do you serve other Christians? Do you love other Christians? Do you pursue their benefit, advancement, and good? Okay? Um, it, it's hard for somebody to claim, I love Christ, and then yet hate His people. Those two things don't really click very well, John says, because when you become a believer, you inherently begin to love his things and his people and what God loves. Okay? They just go hand in hand. So John has already given us four awesome tests or proof tests so far, but what is the purpose of these tests? Why did John write this book? Why did he give us the book of 1 John? Now, we've already given one of these, but I'm going to give you another reason why the book of 1 John was written, and we're going to take a look at it here in these verses, okay? <clears throat> so this book was written to both confirm and to rob. <laughs> John wrote 1 John to confirm and rob. You say, what does that mean? Well, let me give you some explanation on this, Okay. So we could summarize the purpose of the book in two ways. First and foremost, the primary reason that the book was written was to confirm genuine assurance of salvation for believers, <coughs> which was simply this. If you're saved, John wants you to know and have a no-doubt salvation because there's an enemy who wants you to doubt and will cause doubt and, and problems and Come on, I've had conversations about my own personal struggles and I've had them enough with other believers to know that our flesh and the world and the devil can oftentimes play tricks on us. And John says, I want people who are genuine believers to have a, a, a real genuine assurance that they are truly saved. And of course, he mentions that in 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 13, a key verse of the whole book, which says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. But there's a second reason that John wrote the book. A second or a, a secondary byproduct purpose of why 1 John wrote the book, or excuse me, why John wrote 1 John, is to rob counterfeit Christians of false assurance. Okay, so in the same way that he was trying to confirm genuine salvation in real Christians, he's trying to rob or steal counterfeit or false assurance from people that are not saved. And so he's trying to accomplish both of these purposes here in the book. Of course, 1 John 2.19 talks about this secondary purpose where he says this, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Now, with this uh, kind of purposes in mind, uh, both assurance and confirmation and of robbing and, and causing doubt in those that don't have genuine salvation there, John gives us a very comforting test here. And this is the test of sanctification or the test of growth, which is simply this. Christians will grow spiritually. They will fail. They will stumble. They will sin. They will grow. They will shrink. They will move forward. They will fall back. 
But with all believers, there will be growth. It's an indicator and a mark of true of Christian faith. So uh, the next point here, which is to make point, this is, this is kind of the main emphasis of these verses here. Little children, young men, old fathers. Okay, so what in the world are you talking about here? Well, just as we kind of started the, the lesson, the sermon here tonight, talking about the physical growth of my son, here John helps us understand sanctification and the spiritual growth process by comparing it to physical growth and maturity and age. So spiritual growth here is compared to physical growth. And, and this isn't the only place in Scripture it's used that way. There are plenty of places in Scripture where you have uh, the example of somebody being born and developing and growing and eating and all the physical markers of uh, somebody being born and growing. Those physical indicators are brought into the spiritual realm of somebody being born again and then growing and developing spiritually. Okay, So John here draws this same connection just like there is physical growth and development there should also be spiritual growth and development. Now, again, this has nothing to do with physical age. Let's go ahead and drop the hammer a little bit on this one. Just because somebody's been saved for 40 years doesn't mean they are spiritually mature. Should it? In my conclusion, yeah. From what I know, yeah, it should. But it doesn't always mean that way. Actually, some of the most spiritually immature people I've ever met in my life are people that have sat in a church pew for 70 years. Now, I'm being very honest. I've watched grown men behave like children during business meetings before and storm out of a church and be all grumpy and bent out of shape about stuff. And I, I look at that and I say this, there's less than a thimble for of spirituality in that individual. They have no evident walk with Christ. I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm simply saying this. They never matured. They never grew up. And then I've seen other people who have been saved for six months, and they're walking with Christ. They've grown. They've developed. Let me say this. In the physical sense, they keep outgrowing their clothes too fast. It seems like every second, you know, our kids are outgrowing what they're walking around with. My goodness, we just bought those pants. Now we're buying new pants, you know. They're constantly growing. Well, that's supposed to happen. They're physically developing. Well, sometimes in a spiritual sense, I enjoy watching that. Uh, boy, uh, one of the things uh, Paul talked about, uh, having no greater joy, you know, and his children are developing and growing in the truth and grace and knowledge of the Lord and developing. One of the greatest things anybody who is a teacher or a parent can ever have is to be surpassed by the student. It's a It's a blessing. Uh, some people say, as a pastor, do you feel threatened when someone knows more about the Bible than you? And I'm like, no, because that never will happen. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it happens all the time. They say this, I, I, I have no uh, illusion in thinking I'm the person who uh, is the best person at praying in our church. I, I Honestly, I have no illusion at that. I, I understand that there probably is some a little older lady who probably knows how to get a hold of God in the prayer closet a lot better than I do. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm under no confusion about that. 
I also understand this, that there's probably some man in the church who knows more Scripture than I do and maybe has better studied and memorized. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with any of that. I strive to be excellent in those things, as all of us should. But I also understand this. The maturity level of an individual has nothing to do with your age or your tenure or your amount of time you've been in church or your pedigree or the family you grew up in. It simply has to do with this. If you want to grow in Christ, you'll grow in Christ. If you want to develop, then get on your knees and get in the book and get in church and start being faithful and you will grow. And grow, 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 grow. Right? Isn't that the little kid song? Read your Bible, pray every day. Pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. grow. Right? Neglect your Bible, forget to pray. Forget to pray, forget to pray. Neglect your Bible, forget to pray, and you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. It's it's a cute kid song, but it's true. Absolutely, it's true. And so... Again, I have to emphasize this. Although there are physical age markers that are used here of a young man and of old fathers, just because you are old or just because you are young does not mean that that is what you are by default by spiritual markers. Okay, so you just have to really emphasize that uh, in this because that's not what he's talking about. Okay, uh, which simply means this teenagers, just because you're young doesn't mean you have to be spiritually immature. Some of the biggest people in faith, uh, faith that I know are young people. Um, uh, I think a teenager, uh, usually kind of running between the age of like 13 and, you know, 20-ish. You know, he's call him a teenager. I wouldn't have thought myself as a teenager that age, but I kind of think about it that way now. But kind of within those age, if you look back, if you're honest during those times, uh, that is a time when you could probably do more for the Lord than at any other point in your life. You're more moldable, more sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. You've got more time, more energy, more opportunity. You can get away with stuff that older people can't get away with. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. You go out door knocking. If I take a, my son with me and me, they'll listen to my son talk about the gospel way before they'll listen to me. Yep. Opportunity. I'll say this. Don't waste your teen years, teenagers. Use it for God. Uh, what a great opportunity to develop spiritually for the Lord. Anyways, <clears throat> let me go through this. There's three categories that it talks about here, three different groups, three distinct ages of spiritual development. So let me go through these quickly. Okay, the first one is this, little children. Little children. So what is this? Well, this is new converts. These would be those who are recently saved that we uh, honestly, and it's not a knock on anybody, but we can simply say this, they're young in the faith. They are little children as John describes them here. Now, John says this of little children in the verses that we read through verses 12 through 14. He calls this of little children, that their sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And he says this, ye have known the Father. The terms that are descriptively used for little children are of those who have been recently saved. So those are the, the terms that he uses there. This shows that they have accepted Christ and now they are beginning their journey of growing in faith in the Lord. They know the Father. They are known by the Father. And they know who the Father is. They've been saved. And this happens to continue for them. They continue to be known of the Father and to know Him. That is an aspect of the growth there. Okay, a second group is this, young men. If we give a uh, definition to what young men are... 
This stage of development, from what I read in the scriptures here, is when Christians have learned to win spiritual victories. Uh, if you can think about it in this light, when I think about little children, I think about those who are heavily dependent upon a parent. Right? That, that's still like all of my children's age. Right? Although Nate is increasingly becoming more independent in, in a large uh, way, he is still highly dependent on his parents. That's just the age that he is. But especially as an infant, they were uh, 100% dependent upon us. They've grown in independence. So when does this stage of a young man enter in? When there is a point of uh, almost pure independence, when they can do this, they can stand on their own two feet. So this is a stage, spiritually speaking, when somebody reaches the point where they begin to learn how to feed themselves and have spiritual victories for themselves and lead someone else to Christ and know how to read their Bible on their own and know how to uh, talk to the Lord and have prayer with the Lord, okay? When somebody first gets saved and they're going through discipleship and, and they're sitting in church, they're sitting there and they're like a, a babe. They don't really know how to do a lot of this stuff. But as that development happens, they then begin learning how to do that. They mature enough to see Scripture to strongly combat the enemy, the flesh, and the world. John says of young men, ye have overcome the wicked one. Ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. So in the verses that are used here, the way John describes young men is he says this, you have learned how to overcome and defeat the devil. Learn how to have some spiritual victories in your life. This shows maturity in the Word. They understand the fourfold purpose of Scripture. According to 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is profitable, and it's given to us for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction. Well, what is that? That's what's right, what's wrong, how to make wrong things right, and how to keep right things right in your life. That's what the Bible is good for. And they've learned how to take the Bible and apply it to their life. So here you go to this third group, old fathers. <clears throat> now we've added the term old. He just uses the word fathers. But to help distinguish what we're talking about in this maturity uh, talk here. This is the, these are those who have developed a deep relationship with Christ, with God. So they have walked with the Lord long enough to know Him intimately and really know Him. And worship Him intimately. They know Him. Not just, oh, I know Him. They know Him intimately. John says this of old fathers, Ye have known Him that is from the beginning. That's how he describes the fathers as he says this, You know Him. You, you intimately and deeply understand who He is. This is quiet trust and faith that comes through years of faithful Bible reading and prayer and going through trials with the Lord and trusting God in dark times. It is forged over years of faithful trust in Christ as the old fathers. Now, John here, this would be our central idea of the text, what this main chunk of these verses is talking about, which is this. John assures believers that a true test here of salvation is their growth in knowing and becoming closer to Christ. Which is simply this. If a person is genuinely saved, there is a 
progression or development of growth that will take place in their life. So we could say it maybe in a more simple terms, modern vernacular, if you will, this way. A Christian is growing in Christ. So if a person is, is a child of God, a person is a Christian, then there should, by default, be growth in that individual person's life. A Christian wants to know Christ and thus will grow in the Lord. So let me give you four things here. What does Christian growth look like? Okay, a, a Christian is growing, and what are maybe some things or areas or markers in which they are growing in? Okay, a Christian is growing in their desire to know Christ. Well, what do you mean in their desire to know Christ? <clears throat> uh, if you didn't see it this morning, hopefully you saw it this evening. Both this morning and this evening, we had beautiful sunrises and sunsets. I don't know what it was about today, but we got both of them. We don't usually get a good sunrise and a good sunset, but they were just brilliant colors and beautiful. The more I grow in Christ, when I see a beautiful sunrise and sunset, I don't see the sunrise and sunset. I see the Creator. And, and I'm telling you, the more you develop in Christ and you know Him, creation begins to declare louder and louder. And you start to understand the scripture where it says, if we're going to hold our peace, the rocks are going to open their mouth and cry out the majesty and goodness and glory of our God. I'll say this. Uh, as I, as I be, when I became a Christian, I wanted to know more about him. And the more I know him, the more I want to know him. And, and nature is just one of those things. It's just mm, uh, good gospel songs and, and hymns and, and Christian music. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that there's old stuff that is fantastic and there's new stuff that people are putting out that's fantastic as well. Uh, David said, you know, I'm going to sing to the Lord a new song. And, and there's something about how sometimes a hymn just hits differently. And then sometimes somebody writes a new song. Um, I heard some music from the Clark family recently that was a new song that they had put out and I just heard it. And I was like, man, it's just, mm. it's an old truth presented in a new way that just, mm, just hits. In the music, you know more about who Christ is. But if we're honest with ourselves, although nature and although music and although hearing a sermon or so many other things that we can know of Christ and a desire to know him, there's probably no greater way to know who God is than to learn of him in his word. It, isn't it interesting that Christ and God in his desire to be known of man, he didn't make a movie he didn't record an audiobook. He didn't write something in the sky. He put black ink on white paper. Yep. The written word. That is the medium through which God chose to be known. Let me make it a little bit more clear. The only medium yes. through which Christ has chosen to be known. I know there is a God because of nature and because of creation and because of the fact that we're here. The consciousness that's in us and the creation that's around us. But I know who that God is because of his word. Amen. And if you become a child of God, there is an innate desire that is placed within us to know him and to know him intimately in his word. Now, listen, I, I understand comprehension and reading and all those things might not be your cup of tea. But there is and there are ways to read the scriptures 
and hear the scriptures and learn of the scriptures so that we can know him more intimately. And that, that, that's a desire that's there. That's a part of growth, right? Okay, <clears throat> let me do a little bit quicker on these next ones here. Okay, another thing of Christian growth, uh, an aspect of Christian growth, is a desire to communicate with Christ. And again, not trying to just drive these simple points into the ground here, but obviously the medium, again, that Christ has chosen through which to communicate is that of prayer. Uh, and to know how to pray and to develop our prayer life. Um, of all the things the disciples asked Lord Jesus, they didn't ask Him to be better soul winners. They didn't ask Him to be better preachers. They didn't ask Him to be good at give, doing miracles. That would have probably been something that I would have been asking. <laughs> but uh, they, they asked Jesus this. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. We, we, we've seen you go apart off by yourself and get along with God. And then you come back refreshed and you come back with the power and majesty and authority of Christ to do the preaching and miracles that you do. So teach us how to pray. I, I honestly think if we could become good people of prayer, it would solve a lot of our problems in not only corporate church life, but also in our private life as well. Christian growth should look like this, uh, developing in our ability to communicate with Christ. Prayer is like a muscle. If you don't work it out, you'll lose it. And it's one of those things where you must grow in development of it. Okay? Uh, some people might be singing the song, Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. And somebody's sitting over there and they're singing it and they're bellowing it out from their soul because they actually know what it means to have a sweet hour of prayer. And then maybe there's somebody else who's sitting there and they're like, sweet minute of prayer, sweet minute of prayer, you know, because they just haven't developed that way. Hey, again, no judgment here of simply saying this. If that's where you're at, that's awesome that you're there, that you're at least praying and develop. But here's the thing. You ought to be striving to develop to that point to grow and, and develop that muscle more and further, okay? A third thing is this. Uh, a Christian is growing in their desire to share Christ with others. <clears throat> this can wane at times. I'll, I'll be honest with you. This is probably one of the areas that I struggle with the most because I am naturally more introvert uh, in dealing with strangers and people that I don't really know. Uh, I get around people like Brother Noyes um, who, and my brother's the same way. We'd be at a gas station pumping gas, and they're like, hey, how's the weather today? And they just strike up a conversation, and before you know it, they got the person crying over there, and they're sharing the gospel with them. And I'm sitting there like, what just happened? Like, if I'm pumping my gas, I'm like, nobody talk to me, nobody look at me. I'm just in my own little bubble here. But I'll simply say this, the more I grow in my love for Christ the more I start to see people with spiritual vision. And what I mean by that is simply this. I start to see them the way Christ sees them. And it helps me come out of that shell and say, hey, can I leave you with this gospel track? Or I start to witness to people. I simply say this. The more I know the Lord and the more I grow in the Lord, the more there's this innate desire to share the gospel with people. And you say, well, that's not my personality. Welcome to the club. It's very few people's personality to just be bubbly and want to tell everyone about Jesus. If that's you, that's awesome that God gave you that spiritual gift. But God, even if God didn't give you that spiritual gift, per se, He has called you to be a witness and a testimony and to share the gospel with others. And what will help you to do that is when you grow in the Lord and develop in your walk with Him. Okay, uh, Number four, a Christian is growing in their desire to obey Christ. 
Okay? Um, <clears throat> obedience, as we've already talked about, is a marker of somebody that is genuinely saved. So here's kind of the, the, in a nutshell, what John is talking about. He's simply saying this. If somebody claims to be saved, and yet there has been zero spiritual growth. I'm talking about, I've had this happen before. I've had people that I have led to the Lord. They made a profession of faith. And then when you talked about baptism, no, I don't want to get baptized. No, I don't want to come to church. No, I don't want to read my Bible. No, I don't want to do anything spiritual. I got my get out of hell free ticket and that's all I want. And, and to be honest with you, you, step back and say this. I don't think genuine salvation happened there. Now listen, we don't have to do in order to be saved, but when someone genuinely trusts in Christ, there is a natural outflow of growth, of sanctification, where we start to develop in Christ and become more and more Christ-like. And we start to develop a spiritual appetite, and we get on the milk, and then we get on the little rice, and then we get on the, the mushy baby food, and then we start you know, eating mashed potatoes and table scraps and stuff, and then you get up, and then, come on now, it's a blessed day. When you get on the, the ribeye steak and the good stuff, yeah, and the smoked meats and all that, yeah, and you go, yeah, and you, you start to feed your little infant child baby food, and you go, mm, kid, you don't know what you're missing out on. As a Christian, it's the same way. You don't know what you're missing out on. God wants you to develop and wants you to grow. Amen. Let's all stand together as we come to a time of invitation.